This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of all things STEM and STEAM, and this is Solve It for Kids. The podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Ganya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. We have reached that time of the year again where Jennifer and Jeff are taking a little break for the summer to make sure we recharge our batteries and we re-energize ourselves for all things STEM and STEAM. So for that, it is time to get to our best of episodes. So what episodes are we gonna be listening to this week? The best of working with robots. The best of robots! How can you not love this one? Right! This is going to be so fun. So remember how this goes. For the best of, you get clips of a couple of different episodes. And you kind of get to get a feel for what it is. So you can go and listen to the episodes and hear the whole thing. So what are we going to be hearing? Episode 126. How do you talk to a robot with Dr. Carla Berry? Episode 144, How Do Humans and Robots Feel? With Dr. Darren Lapomi. And finally, episode 150 with Dr. Topher Hunter, that is How Do You Build a Droid? So have fun listening to these and enjoy your summer because I know Jeff and I are going to enjoy our break. How do you talk to a robot? I get it. How do you talk to a robot? Very good, Jeff. So who is our amazing guest today? When we want to talk to a robot, we go straight to the source. We have the fantastic Dr. Carlotta Berry, and she is the Lawrence J. Giacoletto Endowed Chair and Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering at the Rose Holman Institute of Technology. Wonderful. Welcome to the show, Dr. Carlotta. Hi, Jeff and Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. We are thrilled to have you with us, and you do so many amazing things. And can I just say, you get to work with robots! Woo! I'm so excited! I do, I do, and I love it. I love every minute of it. I'm an electrical engineer and controls engineer, but I also like to say I'm a robotics engineer. Oh, and all of that is so cool. So we like to start out the show sometimes with, Did you always want to work with robots as a kid? Were you one of those kids that started building them a long time ago? Or did you just find it recently? So I was not. And I like to say I am one of those kids who broke the mode. I was not when I was younger. When I was younger, I wanted to be a school teacher. I was all about my dollies, baby. I gave the homework. (laughs) You wait, you gave your doll homework? I did, and I graded, and they didn't always get it right either. They needed to get on it, honey. (laughs) I love it. 
Okay, so now we know where the Professor Barry comes from, because that started right away. (laughs) So how did you make that transition from being Dolly Girl to (laughs) electrical engineer and robots? So when I was in middle school, I really loved math. So I had decided I was going to be a high school math teacher. I wanted to teach high school math. So um, by the time I got to high school, I was going to be a calculus teacher. Oh, And I was in a program. I had gone to a magnet school because my principal told me in the sixth grade, I was wasting my time at my current school. And they put me in a program where a career counselor said, with your math and science skills, you should really be an engineer. And I said, a train conductor? I don't want to drive trains. <laughs> so yeah. I went to the library and I looked up engineer because this was, I'm dating myself before internet, before cell phones. I actually oh, had to walk to the we library. We were there. We were there. <laughs> I read it in a book, looked interesting. And I was like, eh. So I decided to get a math and an electrical engineering bachelor's degree in college because wow. if the engineering thing didn't work out, I could slide back to math teacher Right. I loved it. I love both. Actually, I still do. And I took my first robotics course in college. Yeah. And you wow. were hooked. Is that what you're saying? You were hooked when you. When I did. You took- and what really hooked me is I went to Georgia Tech, but their robots were so doggone expensive that only the grad students got to touch them. And I was like, ew, this is no fun. I want to touch the robot. <laughs> you sound like every student that I've ever worked with when there's robots in the room. Every kid wants to touch. Nobody yes. wants to be the one watching. Yes. You're going to get to do. Ro- so what was your first experience at college being yeah. able to actually yeah. work with the robots? So I programmed the robots. We wrote the software. We looked behind the cage to see how they did. And when I graduated, I became a controls engineer, which also does robotics. So okay. my real hands-on experience came during my internships when I was in college. And when I went to go work at Ford Motor Company, I worked at a manufacturing plant facility and had real robots. So I got to work on the robots. I got to work on the line. I got to write the programming. So it went from being, I was still behind a cage, but now instead of a glass cage, (laughs) an industrial cage, I didn't knock me across the plant. But I got to have that real world experience each and every day at work. So great. So tell us a little bit, because I think this is fascinating about how they use the robots on the lines to make the cars. Why is it better to use robots or why do they use robots? I got you. I got you, Jen. So good. When I teach my students, I tell them that robots are ideal for the three D's. The three D's of Ah, robotics are there for tasks that robots are good for tasks that are dirty. Yeah. Dangerous. Uh and dull. So the <laughs> ones that you are talking about, an industrial facility is dull yes. because the robot is sitting there and moving some piece of technology or a door or a windshield over and over again. It becomes dull. Yeah. It's sure. dangerous because a person doing that all day could get injured. They could get hurt. They could oh, hurt wow. their back. They could hurt their arms. And it is also dirty because you can also have a plant that has robots that paint cars. Breathing in those fumes, oh, right? And getting that sure. stuff on you is not good. So dirty, dull, and dangerous. The three Ds of robotics is why some things you don't want humans to do. I love that. Yes. I don't want to go too far into the car world, but because you were just talking about the paints and moving pieces, I'm imagining 
there's a lot of different types of robots that are in a plant like that. Not just one that, you know, is a mechanical arm that picks something up, moves it to the left, grabs the next, moves it to the left. That's called a manipulator. That's called an industrial manipulator. That's the one that looks like the arm that picks things up and moves them. Okay. Those are the kind I worked on, but now it's a lot different. Okay. I was just going to ask, so did you work on one type of robot in the factory or all the different types? So then I worked on the industrial manipulators, pick and place robots, the ones that picked up heavy stuff and moved it. It's what we call it. I worked in a windshield plant. So my robots picked up the windshields and stacked them onto carts. However, since then, I now do mobile robotics. And if you think about Amazon Warehouse, where they right. fill the packages sure. that get delivered to your home, those are mobile robots or wheeled robots or mobots. They have wheels on them. So they drive and they go pick up packages and they drive them over to some kind of pallet and they stack them and then they get shipped to you. How do humans and robots feel? How do humans and robots feel? I sense this is going to be a great episode. Who is our guest today, Jeff? Our guest today is the very smart Dr. Darren Lapomi. He is professor of nanoengineering at the Jacobs School of Engineering at UC San Diego. And he is also a fellow podcaster with Molecular Podcasting. Welcome to the show, Dr. Darren. Thanks, it's great to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. And I'm just gonna jump right in because I have an idea what nanoengineering is, but I'm not sure that our listeners do. Could you kind of explain that to us? What is nanoengineering? Nanoengineering is the study and application of materials that have nanoscale dimensions. And a nanometer is one billionth of a meter. So anything with one of its dimensions from one billionth of a meter to 100 billionths of a meter is within our expertise. So like really, really, really small. Really small. (laughs) We're we're talking like a millionth of width of a human hair. Oh my gosh. And you do engineering with this. Yeah, we we synthesize materials, we look at them under microscopes, we make solar cells and prosthetic devices out of them. It's all all fair game. Okay, and we need to talk more about that. I've never heard the parameters that you just gave of say 1 1 billionth to 100 billionths. When it gets a little bit bigger than you, than those parameters, what does it then become? That's a good question. So some people will criticize nanoengineering as being something that the microelectronics industry has already been doing. So if you open up your computer and you look at that, the smallest possible size, the transistors are about seven nanometers across, but they call that microfabrication. But we say, well, nanomaterials actually have different properties from conventional materials. So it seems that it's more appropriate to start talking about this very small scale world in terms of nano instead of micro, because it's something different. Yeah. Okay. It's very cool. I did a book on nanotechnology a few years ago, so I'm sure probably everything I learned back then is all completely different. The applications are different. 
But can you explain that how on the nanoscale things appear different and act differently than in like regular what we think of as normal scale type things? There are a lot of properties that change when you shrink stuff down. So a gold particle that's a millimeter across or an inch across, it looks gold. But when you shrink it down to less than 50 nanometers, maybe down to five or 10 nanometers, it's red. You put it in a solution and it's red and it interacts with light in a very different way. Usually nanoscale materials have most of their atoms on the outside or close to the outside because when you shrink something down, its surface area gets bigger Mm -hmm. while its volume gets smaller by comparison. So with all those surface atoms, they tend to melt sooner because they're not connected to as many atoms. Right, and so, right. so you get melting point depression and things like that. It's so cool working with materials <laughs> like that, I think. Okay, we're going to jump right back into that. However, I do have to ask, when you started learning about engineering back in your school days and college days, did you know you wanted to do nano? Or was there something about it that just grabbed your interest and you've stuck with it since? There were a couple of different things. I think that one of the things that I always wanted to do is work on the energy challenge. I was always interested in efficiency and green chemistry and green engineering. And as an undergraduate, I had a project at Boston University on running a bunch of different molecules through what's called a reaction column that had nanomaterials in it. And out pops a very sophisticated molecule that was made of those three different components that you put in. And because of that, it's very efficient. There was very little wasted solvent, very little wasted energy. And that was an example of a green synthesis. And I wanted to do something with nano because of its application in the energy sector. I love how you were able to figure out that you wanted to do that from doing that one project. A lot of times, you know, you do a project, you hand it in. And as a student, you're just like, whew, that one's done. Okay, what's (laughs) next? And we don't really take anything from it. And it sounds like you took a whole lot from it. Sure. Like the history of organic chemistry is making pharmaceutical compounds, making polymers and paints and plastics and stuff. And the connection as a 19 year old wasn't clear to me that an organic chemist could contribute to the energy challenge. And then that project opened up this whole world that said, indeed, my skills are applicable here. That's awesome. And that's something we've heard from other guests on our show is just kind of keep your eyes open because sometimes you'll end up learning something while you're doing it that might take you in a completely different path, which is what this one did. But now I'm curious how you got from energy to what we're kind of talking about today, which is, you know, the sense of touch. How did you make that leap? Yeah. So a professor at a university like me gets to pick a core scientific problem. And this is how you look smart in front of your (laughs) in front of your highfalutin faculty colleagues who who write you recommendation letters. And this is how you get grants. But then with this one core scientific area, what you do is you look for places to apply it things that excite you. So my core scientific area is 
organic nanostructures. How do you build a droid? How do you build a droid? Now, notice we said droid and not robot, so I have a feeling we're going to learn the difference between those two. Who is our guest today, Jeff? Oh, get ready. Our guest today is the fantastic Dr. Topher Hunter. For his day job, he's a scientist at a medical <laughs> device company, but we are talking to him because he is a near professional hobbyist in robotics and droid building. Welcome to the show, Topher. Thank you. Well, we are so thrilled to have you. So your day job is as working in a medical device company, but you build really cool robots, which we're going to talk about. But I'm curious, have you always built robots even as a kid? No. You know, as a kid, I, I loved to build with Lego and that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Um, and love to play, you know, play around on my computer, but... Computer programming, building electronics? No. Wow. <laughs> okay. So how did that yes. come about? Was that something along the way in school or was that even later in life? It was later in life. When I was a high school student and in university, I was very good at uh, what we call releasing the magic smoke, which is that all <laughs> electronics work by magic smoke inside. And if yes. you let the smoke out, they don't work anymore. <laughs> I was doing things that friends of mine who were much better at electronics were like, how did you do that? So wow. I was really good at making big mistakes. Okay. <laughs> so it that's was, how you learned by making big mistakes? Well, that's how I learned that I, at first I did not want to do any of this. Oh. And, you know, we had a robotics club in, in university and we were part of the, you know, the whole like early battle bots kind of thing. Oh, yes. Okay. Student teams and. And I would just noped out of that big time. All right. Then, so, gosh, almost a, ugh, a decade ago, I got involved with a costuming club okay. called the 501st Legion, the 501st Legion. Right. And we are a club that builds Star Wars costumes and then wears oh, them. We build as perfect a replica as we can yes. get of what's on screen. Wow. And then we Very wear them familiar for with charities. The 501st. And, there you go. Yeah. So we wear them for charities. We wear them to, you know, comic cons and all that kind of stuff. I have a brother and that's a stormtrooper. Excellent. Well, there you go. TD one two one two seven. That's. But uh, and you know, it's a lot of fun. One of the things I noticed though was that when we were at what we call a trooping event, was that if either a Wookie or a droid showed up. All the attention went to them. Oh, okay. Absolute you know, truth. So, yeah, everyone wants either to, to, to get a photo with the big fuzzball or with R2 <laughs> or 3 PO. Yes. So I was basically jealous. And so I decided <laughs> I was going to turn to the, the other side and I was going to build this droid. And I thought, okay, this can't be too hard, right? Oh, dear. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. The fun part is that the... Just like the 501st is all the, they do all the bad guys, the stormtroopers, Darth Vader. Right. All that okay. Stuff. Sure. There's also a group that focuses on the heroes that's called Rebel Legion. Okay. And then there's the Astromech Club, which is ah. the droid builders. Yeah. So there's this worldwide club. All the, every continent, you know, most of the countries have members. 
And so in that club, we share designs, we share, you know, share bits of computer code that we've optimized. Right. And so you kind of can pull from bits and pieces and you can get lots of help from the, from the people on the forum. Wow. And you can just kind of learn through and they're really helpful and great about, you know, coaching you through the basics. And that's how I learned. I just learned by saying, okay, I'm going to do this. <laughs> okay. So what was the first droid that you attempted to build? The very first one was a, an R2-D2. Okay. That's who um, I would have picked. He's my favorite. Oh, yeah. R2-D2. I have an R2-D2 suitcase. That I there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that person in the airport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can get these these beautiful little, um, you know, small R2 droids from, um, oh, blanking on the name of the company, but, you know, they, they make beautiful little remote control droids and stuff that wow. you, can, you can play with and they're really cool and, and well done. And so, you know, yeah, we build the whole club. We build life-size replicas of the droids that are seen on screen. So I've got, you know, next to me here, I've got Chopper. He's actually my favorite and he's a blast. I have so, lots of fun. So he's, so life side is what, three feet or so? So he's about three feet they? tall. He's basically waist height on, a, on an adult and he's completely 3D printed. Um, ah, okay. I was going to yep. ask. Okay. Yeah, listeners, right. just a quick pause. We will have pictures of these yes. on this website. Yes. Go ahead, Dr. Topher. Yeah. So yeah, he's fully 3D printed and then he has some very simple electronics inside that run, you know, run his motors and spin his dome and make it, he makes noises and stuff. And then I have a little remote control that I can hide in my pocket and I can drive him from about 40 feet away. Oh, wow. Whoa. That's very cool. Okay. So I want to ask about the 3D printing because how do you, because he's also, he has color. So he's, orange on the top and kind of with yellow and then you know the body's white are those all is the head kind of all one piece how do you do that with 3d printing so it depends on what tools you have available to you talk about a best of that's going to get all of the listeners to listen to all three of those episodes who's not going to love best of robots and as soon as you hear those episodes with these three amazing guests Everybody's going to be hopping on Google and learning more about talking to robots and how AI is going to help. What do you think, Jennifer? I think absolutely. So don't forget, if you want to listen to the entire episode, you need to go to our website, solveforkids.com. You can search for the episode in the upper right corner so you don't have to go through all of them. But if you want to stay on and listen to a few more episodes, that would be amazing. Tell us what you think about our best of episode on our social media, we are at KidSolve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We hope to hear from you. Until our next Best Of episode, Jen and Jeff will be on summer break. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on Solve, Solve It For, for Kids. Kids.